news, play breakdowns, power rankings, storylines you never hear talked about anywhere else. It's all straight shots here. Fired by straight shooters. S and Gun. This is the Objective Basketball Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Objective Basketball Podcast. My name is Isfandi Arbarahini, joined alongside Lauren Gunn, and it is Tuesday morning, if you are listening to this in the morning, Tuesday afternoon, potentially, if you're listening to this in the afternoon, maybe even Tuesday night, while you're enjoying some basketball. Uh, we have a guest, that means, because it is Tuesday. We have a guest. So uh, we are joined by Grant Afseth. He is of the DallasBasketball.com. I don't know if there's a the in there, but it is DallasBasketball.com. Uh, Mavericks beat writer. And it's funny because we have two Mavericks people here to talk about the Dallas Mavericks. Always good to talk about Luca and Kyrie. Kyrie seems to have, you know, missed out on a pretty substantial injury. That was a really scary moment with Dwight Powell as a fellow Canadian, 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 Canadian. I apologize for Dwight Powell. That was, uh, that was not a, that was a very scary moment. Um, Okay. Look, let's just, let's start off with the Mavericks. Uh, They have, I think, look, they started the season well. They have kind of gotten to, I don't know if you want to say like a a slower start. They've been perfectly fine, but they've been five and five in their last 10. So not as hot as they were to start out the gate. Some injuries have maybe derailed some of that. Grant Williams right now is injured. Kyrie Irving was in and out of the lineup. I guess overall, Grant, to just start this conversation off, especially with us being at around the 20-ish game mark, we can take in some of the stats. We can take in some of the numbers. What is your overall read on this Mavericks team that is currently third in the Western Conference? Yeah, I think a big part of it is they still have a very similar identity as they had in the recent years around Luka, where they're a very three-point, like, you know, make-or-miss sort of team. Uh, you know, they were very hot uh, coming out of the gate from three, I think, through, like, their first ten games to start eight and two. And as you said, they kind of tapered off the shooting uh, dissipated and, you know, teams started to get a little more creative with how they approached guarding them as well. They started putting their center on Derek Jones and pre-rotated off of him. And then they had like their biggest wing kind of switch in the ball screening actions when Derek Lively was involved to kind of take them out of their, you know, like those easy like drop coverage situations that Luca tends to just tear defenses apart operating out of. And then I think, uh, you know, they've actually improved defensively uh, from that start. So that kind of tells you, even with defensive improvement uh, over that five and five, you know, stretch that you mentioned, uh, that just tells you how important and vital uh, shooting is to their overall mm-hmm. success. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I think uh, I'm glad you mentioned the defense. I think that that's probably the biggest question mark for me in terms of like you can obviously see the improvements like you've mentioned, and uh, you know, but there's they are still a bottom ten team in defense, and so I think I, I want to ask you what you think. You know, the answer might be: Do you think that they, you know, Dante Exum getting more time? Do you think that they? should kind of just keep trying to build the continuity with what they have and keep growing their uh, defensive identity kind of organically and in-house? Or do you kind of think that maybe, whether it be a lineup change, continuing to to have these sort of lineup changes or maybe even looking elsewhere for for size at at maybe those wing spots, uh, what what direction do you think they should go? Yeah, I definitely think in the long run, they will need to look to add more size, uh, a more dynamic like difference maker on the wing. Mm -hmm. Because I think when you look at some of the top 
10 teams defensively in the NBA, a lot of them have those like dynamic talents that kind of set the tone with those right. like special attributes. And, you know, I think Derek Lively yeah. as a rim protector and just general defender could be one of those players as he develops. But early in his career, you want to take mm-hmm. pressure off of him. And they're going to need more perimeter mm-hmm. size in general because there's a lot of times when they get into those lineups throughout games with those plug and play groups, they're just very small. Like, even when like one injury starts right. to happen, like Grant Williams goes down and even he's only six foot six, uh, it gets really small. Uh, you know, like Jaden Hardy gets thrown yeah. out there, uh, Josh Green, a lot of like six mm-hmm. foot uh, five and under, six foot four and under type of guys. When a lot of these other teams that they'll line up against, it really is pretty staggering difference. Like sometimes Toronto, uh, even Denver, mm-hmm. uh, those types of teams, they have like a lot of six foot eight and up guys. And that just really adds up for a team that uh, needs to you know, close possessions uh, on the glass at a more effective rate. It's very hard to do when you make all these rotations and then you're just too small at the very end of the play. Uh, <laughs> right. So that's definitely yeah. something that uh, makes a big difference for sure, in my opinion. 28th in uh, rebound percentage this year. They haven't been that good of a rebounding team. And I think to your point, that size comes into play this year. Um, just just how they're going to be able to defend. And also it's like, it's a versatility thing on defense, right? It's like when you can, like you said, you have an advantage against certain teams, but against teams that have those wings, have those bigger body players, how are you going to try to figure out a way to scheme those guys out? It's a, It's definitely a question you have to ask yourself. In that Toronto game, they didn't have Derek Lively. That that's that's one thing that I got to point out, and I think the Raptors took full advantage of that. I guess I just wanted to ask you. Lively has been an awesome rookie to start this year. Uh, like the 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 box score stats don't necessarily jump out to you, but the fact that he's like almost a ten and ten type of player with a couple of blocks a game that's like that's that's amazing for what he is at his position. Um, what of your what what sort of your overall grand scheme takeaways from lively how he sort of looked in year one and i guess maybe looking forward into april and may if you think this is tangible for him to be the starting center when you're trying to win playoff games yeah i think actually when you take it back to the summer when he started you know preparing for summer league and playing in summer league i had the opportunity to kind of cover him throughout that whole period and what really stood out to me even just weeks after the draft was how like coachable, how mature, how intelligent he was when you talk to him. Like you can ask him anything about basketball and he'll have like a really detailed, like just on the money, like response about what he's supposed to do, like what's happening. Mm -hmm. And so I just was like, okay, like that guy gets it. And the other part of being a successful player is you have to have the physical tools and he's seven Mm -hmm. foot one, seven, seven wingspan. And what really stood Mm -hmm. out from the jump and has continued to stand out is when he contests jump shots, it's just really tough to shoot over him. Like he's just, mm-hmm. he's got a, a lot of length and he can actually switch, handle that well. He's continuing to improve in that regard. And, you know, just a lot of the things that they laid out for him to improve dating back to the summer, you know, he's mm-hmm. really improved in that area of those areas, like finishing touch, even like you could see him working with Tyson Chandler, you know, in the practice facility in July. And then all of a Ooh. sudden he's getting into some <laughs> like, uh, like finishing touches uh, that mm-hmm. you just didn't see him execute at Duke. And, you know, I think just the skill set overall is maximized the approach that he has, yeah. like in the vertical op threat type of guy uh, and, you know, the backline sort of like rim protector who communicates, talks a lot. That was also something that really stood out about him. And he actually tells everyone, he said, what I'm going to bring is a lot of energy. I'm going to bring communication. You're going to hear me talking from the 10th row. Like he said, like media day and just throughout <laughs> his whole time uh, with the Mavs. It's just, he's like kind of like everything you would want in a center that does all the dirty work. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just a little bit more time yeah. 
for him to keep figuring it out, add layers to his game. And, you know, I think a big part, not to ramble too much, but like to think about one. No, part no you're good. You're, yeah, keep, I've brought you uh, on here to ramble. I yeah, need you to ramble. I'm living yeah. for the ramble. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. The one thing that I always liked about him, like kind of just watching his film at Duke was how he makes reads out of short rolls. But, you know, against mm. the OKC Thunder a few games ago, what really stood out is like, they told him, like, basically don't pass the effing ball. Like, just score, look to score, <laughs> put it on the floor and attack the rim. And he is like, oh, okay, I guess I can try that. And then he just yeah. posters Chet Holmgren making <laughs> that low man rotation. It was like, oh, I guess that was easy. All right, well, yeah. I'll just do that more. So, like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, seeing that, like, three times in one game, he scored as the short roll attacker. And he's always mm-hmm. been good on those passing reads, as I mentioned. So, like, kind of putting those pieces together where he's kind of figuring out, wow, I can, like, really do this and that. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's what the team wants me to do. And, you know, playing alongside a guy like Luca and then also Kyrie as well, there's just mm-hmm. a lot of, like, pressure on the defense at the point of attack that he can just feast, mm-hmm. uh, you know, whether it's on the offensive boards or just finishing plays. So there's just – there's a lot to like about what he brings, and I think he's just continuing to gradually figure it out. And as teams throw out different schemes that a guy like Luca, which – you know, there's a lot of different looks that that results oh, like, yeah. like defenses throw. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, you're just like seeing all those and like all the the game within the game, even not even just like mm-hmm. you know like a week long of like this type of coverage, like just like oh, okay, well they might mix this up when I see this. Now it's more instinctual, mm-hmm. you know, like uh, so that just makes it a lot easier overall on both sides of the ball. I feel like for him as time goes on, so I think he'll be very effective, you know, come playoff time. Mm-hmm. And I think he's definitely someone who we've already seen like who was talked about as like oh, he could spend time in Frisco, like in July, like people were talking about with the G League team. Right. Well, now he, he, he quickly took the starting role in like as 19. So yeah. like I, I, I will always bet on Derek Lively if you're going to give him time to show improvement and continue to get comfortable and learn and build on his skill set for sure. Yeah, yeah, I think I'm glad we're talking about Lively so early because I do think that he's such a big part of kind of this new identity. Like he's he's changed so much for Dallas. And when you talk about the really impactful areas in which he's learning so quickly, it completely changes things for the Mavs. And so I think focusing on the offensive end, kind of you mentioned like him looking to attack out of the short role and, and be aggressive and looking to score. What kind of are the next, I'm going to be greedy here, but what are the next kind of areas that you're kind of excited and, and can sort of see him growing, whether it be, you know, stretching the floor, putting on the weight and just being even more aggressive at the rim. What are you kind of keeping your eye on? Yeah, I think over this next period for however long Kyrie is out, I definitely think building upon the short roll attacking is going to be huge because teams are going to get aggressive with full court pressure to wear Luka down and they're going to blitz him like Portland did. You know, and Portland's actually been a very effective defensive team, I think, in the last little while. I saw stats. They were like six in defensive rating over a certain period. I forgot the exact time, but they weren't like the typical, like, this team's terrible and horrible at everything. This is kind of an easy win sort of opponent. Like, they actually had like you know athletes and you know like an actual like aggressive defensive game plan they mix things up so that was interesting to see lively continue to you know play in that sort of situation and so i think there'll be more like you know replicated situations kind of Mm -hmm. going forward throughout this next period with you know Kyrie out so that will probably be a big thing and then i think just in general overall just continuing to make plays when there is an advantage, I think like w- with the matchups, like if, as we mentioned, like other teams are putting their center sometimes on Derek Jones, which actually is not sometimes it's pretty often, especially <laughs> early in games. So mm-hmm. at some point it'd be interesting to see if they're like, okay, uh, lively has a, a matchup advantage. Let's see what he can do with the ball, like l- with the size. So I, I mean, right. that's probably going to be a long-term thing. And also with his shooting, I think he showed at his pro day with clutch sports, 
that he can really shoot the three, uh, you know, yeah. at times, like outside of the game setting, but seeing slowly it in a game surely. setting. Slowly yeah, but surely. Yeah, for yeah. sure. For sure. And I think it's shot, like, when you go to shoot arounds and stuff like that, obviously that's not a game where, like, someone's yeah. closing <laughs> out on him and everything. But, like, it does look like it's getting smoother and things and just in mm-hmm. general. So I think long-term, those are probably two two very interesting things to think about because matchups are very hard to factor when you're dealing with Luka, seven right. guard who yeah. can just pretty much get an advantage against any matchup. But if you factor mm-hmm. in a big that's kind of more hands-on in, like, the matchup, like, attacking element of the game, that gets really, like, kind of nightmarish if you think about it. <laughs> right. So those are definitely things that, uh, def- that I'm going to keep an eye on. But the short-term thing is definitely that short roll attacking yeah. and, you know, just kind of being that uh, release valve for Luka when teams really start to load up on him with Kyrie out. When you mentioned the the short roll creation, I think to your point, the release valve is huge, but it also like it puts pressure on the second line of the defense, right? Because now they're forced to react. It was always Luca trying to create out of the perimeter, right? Maybe even the post, right? It was like one line of creation and then it was to a play finisher. But now when you have Kyrie, who is another creator, when you have Derek Lively, who can like in the middle of the floor, attack the second line of the defense. It opens up so many more possibilities for you. Wanted to ask you about the guy everybody is wondering when it comes to the Mavericks. The guy me and you talked about very extensively in the summer, and that is Josh Green. Okay, In and out of the rotation to start the year has slowly started to get back, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, like be an active part of the rotation for the most part. I came into this season thinking his this is going to be a big year for Josh Green. How has that been so far? And maybe why has that not materialized yet? Because, you know, the extension talks, all that stuff, like it, it came to the point where it was like, he's going to be a big part of this future. And I don't feel like I've seen that or I felt that yet when I watched the Mavs. Yeah, it seems a lot. It feels a lot like the post-trade deadline period of last year where he's more comfortable when one of the superstars are out and they're able to kind of run more actions for him. Uh, whether it's mm-hmm. like the out of the corner, like double wide pin downs or like handoffs, like yeah. zoom actions and stuff. That's kind of where I feel like he makes his greatest like imprint on the game. And uh, that doesn't really happen as much whenever he's playing next to Luke and Kyrie. But I do think overall, when you look at like, I, I haven't looked at it lately, but I do think that the numbers usually tend to be pretty favorable when he does share the floor with them. So I think like right. he does a lot of the little things uh, regardless of whether he's like kind of hitting those threes because he really like flies around the half court. You know, sometimes he fouls too much still. And sometimes mm-hmm. he struggles with like, you know, handling, like navigating screens uh, at times. I think that's another thing that he can continue to improve on. But overall, I do think um, there's still a lot to like beyond the box score with him. And I think actually Jason Kidd praised that not too long ago. He actually called uh, his game against the Washington Wizards where he didn't score at all as his best game of the season. Like that's, that's could be a lot of coach speak, but like, that's kind of how the team in general views him. I think it's just like that impact that goes beyond like the box score. He does a lot of little things. And, you know, I think naturally a lot's going to rely on whether his three is falling or not, because when you have like 40 to 50 plus percent of your attempts coming from spot ups, like if that's not falling, it's kind of like Reggie Bullock last year or like Grant <laughs> Williams as well this year. Like, that it's not many ways to make up for scoring if that's kind of a huge chunk of what you're going to be providing. But overall, mm-hmm. for a team that likes to play faster and pick up the pace, I do think an athlete like you know Josh Green and like the ability to kind of push the pace as a handler and also on leakouts, I think that definitely helps overall. So I think kind of seeing how he settles in and gets comfortable, he's had some strong performances, but you know seeing consistency will definitely be 
you know, something to kind of watch like throughout the next, like, well, however long it takes him to get back from the elbow injury. I think it took him like four to six weeks. Oh, right. and it was like a very similar, yeah, right yeah. elbow uh, sprain mm-hmm. last year. So overall, yeah. and it, it's actually kind of crazy because it's almost like the same time of year too. Like it was early December. <laughs> yeah. So like maybe he'll be back like early January, whatever. Like I'm not too positive on that, but like if the timeline's mm-hmm. similar. I think he was like mid-January, like January 14th or something like that last year. So mm-hmm. definitely something to keep an eye on is how long he'll be out and then how he gets comfortable settling back in, uh, you know, once he is back. Because, you know, as you know, you guys mentioned like with Dante Exum uh, as someone to kind of, you know, mm-hmm. think about, that's someone who's really stepping up lately. And, you know, how they kind of solve that rotation you know, construction uh, will be interesting post, uh, like, Josh Green injury return for sure. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Lauren, can I ask you a question real quick? Yeah, let's do okay. it. Okay. So, the, he Grant kind of uh, gave me a, a, a an idea here, and I'm kind of curious to see what both of you guys think of this. So, yeah. just looking at the Mavericks lineups, the most heavily used lineups, they don't have a lineup that has played more than 100 minutes together. 99 mm-hmm. minutes for their starting lineup of Kyrie, Luca, Derek Jones Jr., Grant Williams, and Derek Lively. They are minus 2.8 in those 99 minutes together. So, not not very good for a starting lineup. But when you have other units out there that are like overwhelmingly positive, you have Luca, Derek Jones Jr., Grant Williams, Josh Green, Derek Lively in 36 minutes. They're plus 18.6. Then on the other side, you have another version of that starting five, which is Kyrie, Luca, Grant Williams, Josh Green, Derek Lively plus 11.6. Then in 24, like you have so many different versions mm-hmm. of a similar esque lineup that are positive. Whereas the starting lineup hasn't necessarily been positive as an outside observer. Why might that be like, what am I not getting here that maybe those other iterations of the, of the starting lineup are working, but not the actual version. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I think I think I get what you're saying. Personally, in my opinion, a lot of it does have to do with just the general fluidity of kind of finalizing what the rotation is going to be and also kind of gauging the difference, the the advantages versus different matchups. And I think generally, like Grant said earlier, they're still generally undersized in that starting lineup a little bit, mm-hmm. especially when your backcourt is maybe not the strongest defensively. And so in my opinion, a lot of it also has to do with a lot of questions that I have about the rotation kind of come back to Tim Hardaway Jr.'s hot start and how reliant, you know, they have been at times on him in the minutes that they've given him and the opportunities that they've given him and how that's affected someone like Josh Green off the bench in his minutes and where the defensive impact kind of like a domino effect kind of struggles a bit. And so I think that they do a really good job of of the minutes where they stagger Luca and Kyrie and how they keep that consistency. I think it's really about building the continuity around them. Like when you're giving Dante Exum ex- like extended, like an, uh, an increased role, increased minutes. And then someone like Josh Green is maybe struggling from the consistency. I think the general size and then the fluidity kind of, it plays against them a little bit, but I do mm-hmm. believe in my opinion that once they sort of get that sorted out, I think the Josh Green injury is really unfortunately timed right now. Right. Um, but then as, which they always are, but I mean, when you're considering the trade deadline coming up and what that could mean and potential guys coming in or out of the rotation in general, that could really open things up to maybe go more defensive heavy, or maybe even go a little bit younger and get Josh or Josh green eventually. And also Jaden Hardy out there with Dante Exum to where they're just playing with extreme pace. And then, you know, maybe you have less minutes. So I think they've got a lot of options and I think that ultimately they will figure it out, but I'm sort of looking to see with 
okay, do you keep relying on Tim Hardaway Jr.? Do you keep looking to give Seth more opportunity? Do you try and go back to Rashawn Holmes? Like there are so many questions right now within the rotation. And so I think that those small sample size under 100 minutes uh, for some of those bench groups, that's where I think you're kind of seeing, okay, adjustments, like quick adjustments within the game, early in games, and even sometimes in the third quarter of, oh, we got to kind of lean this way and lean into this. Um, and that's where you see some of those effective, impactful lineups. And that's props to them for making the adjustments. Whereas mm-hmm. sometimes I think starting right out the gate, sometimes they're just overmatched uh, in certain certain games, the yeah. Denver one to be specific. Grant, I guess I'll, I'll ask you sort of the same thing if you wanted to jump in there and yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of that is definitely like my thought as well. Like they've definitely had games where they've decided like at halftime, like we're just going to put Josh Green instead of Derek Jones because we feel more comfortable of him attacking like a center being like his matchup as opposed to like just sticking with the same look with when Derek Jones is struggling to shoot uh, from three in a particular right. game. But overall, definitely, I think a lot of it has to do with not necessarily having like the ideal like long-term personnel that you would like to have next to Kyrie and Luca, Cause I think a lot of it is you, you list pros and cons for a lot of those guys on the wing. And like Tim Hardaway Jr. As you mentioned uh, is someone that like, you know, there's times where if his three's not falling, he's watching him and Luca are kind of just watching rebounds fly and allowing offensive uh, like rebounds, putbacks, things like that. And, like there's a lot of times where there's big swings in games uh, when that happens. Mm-hmm. And too many players are not necessarily like the ideal size. They don't have the ideal, like, I guess you could say like all around skill set as well, like to make up for certain parts of their game, not necessarily flourishing at a, on a given night. So I think a lot of it, um, like ideally, like, like last year, you look at uh, how the defense kind of shaked out. And when Tim Hardaway started frequently at the three, there was no player that got scored on more in the post, like total volume wise than Tim last year. And that's like, whether it was like mm-hmm. a late season game against the Miami Heat, Jimmy Butler was posting him up or, you know, like switching, he ended up getting stuck on a big, things like that. Like they're, they're definitely undersized against those bigger wings. Uh, and I think that's carried over into this season, even with, you know, like Derek Jones kind of handling those quicker guards and then Grant Williams trying to handle those uh, bigger like threats in general, like even like. He, against Denver, he was put on Jokic for a good stretch where Lively was able to play that kind of roamer uh, off of Aaron Gordon. Mm-hmm. And, you know, not uh, th- nothing really worked that night, but, th- you know, at least it g- gives you a little <laughs> more confidence to try stuff. But, uh, you know, like beyond mm-hmm. those guys, you get into situations where you're not going to try putting anyone else on like Jokic and Aaron Gordon's going to cause problems. And, mm-hmm. You know, just a lot of matchup nightmares mm-hmm. where six foot four, six foot five guys. Uh, are not really capable of being like that base matchup and switching makes it even worse. So overall, definitely think that they're going to have to like kind of look at their lineup combinations. I do think the Dante Exum like production race recently has been intriguing because he is six foot six with like a six foot nine wingspan and he's, he's got a big frame as well. Yeah. So he can handle big matchups and he can pick mm-hmm. up full court against quicker guards. So I think that's definitely something to watch at the three spot that kind of. I guess gets you out of uh, being limited in offensive, uh, like off ball skill sets too. Like there was times last year where they got caught with spot up heavy guys who just couldn't put it on the floor and like take too many difficult shots. And I think with Exum, at least that kind of mm-hmm. makes the ability to like have a different attack, a more layered attack to punish the other team and make them more cognizant of their matchups. Cause when you have three guards and mm-hmm. one of them is just going to put a lot of rim pressure alongside Luca and Kyrie. Uh, that definitely, you know, is a very like challenging thing to hide, like 
like a, a smaller perimeter player because then they're just going to bring up that four to set mm-hmm. screens and switch hunt, or they can just play out of different actions. Like it, like they try to play out of some like horn sets with Derek Lively, uh, like against the Trailblazers and really kind of utilize his passing ability and like double drag screens and things like that. And I think overall, uh, even if he's just a handoff big out in perimeter, uh, that's really hard to account for all the matchups if you have three like dynamic, uh, I guess you could say like perimeter players in their own right. Like whether like, like Exum's not like on the same, obviously it's the same level as like Luca Kyrie, but I consider dynamic in the sense of like, <laughs> you can hunt matchups as well. Like he had a small guard on him in the post last game uh, against the Blazers where he just kind of a couple back down dribbles and just threw a pass to the dunker spot for an assist. Like that's not really something you see from like a Josh Green or like he has some sequences where he does make those right. secondary like playmaking like looks, but you just have more options when you can move mm-hmm. around like different guys like Exum and like attack like and also have him to push the pace. He's been the most important player uh, for the team, like kind of in praise, like from the coaching staff and just like players in terms of pushing the pace. Like if you look at the on off numbers as well, that kind of I think that translates from last time I checked. So if you have like the ideal like personnel where you can kind of provide that versatile defensive option. Uh, at six foot six, and then he can attack the paint, provide that rim pressure that you haven't had in recent years, and he's helping you push the pace and get into half court sets where you can have Luca and Kyrie off ball. That's really like tough uh, mm-hmm. to have that like reliable yeah. like initiator because there there are some games where like you're in the middle of the floor and like Luca or Kyrie is down screening for each other and they're getting into like a middle floor like <laughs> zoom action. Like that's just like, how do you even mm-hmm. like with right. Derek Lively is the big, like you, you can't leave the, the nail area and let Derek Lively in the paint. But then you also have to be very like fearful of the matchups that you're putting on either of those guys. So like there's a lot of layers like that when you trust like a third ball handler that can really get you into your offense and push mm-hmm. the pace that uh, definitely makes it intriguing. So I think that will probably be something to watch overall and think about uh, as how they mm-hmm. kind of build a roster going forward. But then again, they're also very limited on the assets they have midseason when we're putting our like front office cap on because they can only trade their 2027 <laughs> first midseason until that like mm-hmm. that final Porzingis first round pick uh, like conveys to the Knicks. So overall, like it's it's right. definitely a, a interesting thing and a reason why like I always say like there's a reason why they're, they're a GM and I'm talking about it on a podcast. <laughs> very, very very complicated overall when you factor in everything uh, uh, yeah. for a pro team for sure. <laughs> you know sure. what I will say though, and like Lauren, we've had this discussion before. Like mm-hmm. I think the prospect pool of the Mavericks is intriguing enough to get you in the conversation for some of these players. Um, mm-hmm. We had this conversation about Pascal Siakam earlier, right? And like how Pascal might work. Um, as a trade candidate, trade target, he'd obviously be an ideal fit for the Mavericks and what they need. But also it's just like, okay, would they be able to get in the door with what they're offering, right? Jaden Hardy, I don't know if Josh Green, whatever, OMAC, I I don't know who it would be. But like, ultimately, I think there is a prospect pool there that could eventually become Mm -hmm. the bulk of what a trade could be for someone. Who that someone is, who knows, not sure dot 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 that's more of a lauren question that's more of a you question i have no idea um i wanted to ask you something before we get into trade talks though and that is it's sort of related you mentioned pace right and the mavericks were near the top of the league in pace to start the season they've kind of slowed down a little bit they're near like top 10 ish now uh Kyrie when he got traded there i thought that was one of the biggest pros in getting a guy like Kyrie. he's consistently going to push the pace for you I thought he, I mean, for the most part, he does do that, right? I guess my question to you is, I feel like I, I the Kyrie Luca potential, 
like some of the screening actions that they might be, maybe could have had having Kyrie be the screener for Luca, having Luca be the screener for Kyrie. Have we seen enough of that or would you want to see more of that? Because I feel like I want to see more of that. Just those two guys, you know, kind of creating plays for each other, ghosting a screen action, whatever. Luca is shooting 40% on pull up threes right now. So there's, there's a pretty good, I think there's a way to draw so much attention with that action and then create for these other complementary players. Have we seen them tap into that a lot, or or do they need to tap into it more? Yeah, I definitely think it's a, a matchup-based thing for me personally because I think the the core of how they want to attack is they know that Luka is going to be a nightmare on switch hunting, and they have a lot of like mechanisms yeah. to generate that. And basically, like the the goal is to force like double teams, and then they play four on three. And then, you know, you're, you have guys that are more capable of putting on the floor this year, like Derek Jones. Uh, you know, you have Exum as well. And I think they showed that last game to be pretty effective. So I think that's like ideally at the core what they'd like to do. And then I think, uh, you know, when you build on that, you play some teams that aren't going to be as, you know, like aggressive with blitzing and everything. I think that's when you can really get into the, the screening actions. Uh, like I think in general, like you should mix in different looks throughout a game so you don't like gas Luca out and like make it very challenging for him to close the game. But I think right. overall, um, you know, like I do like some of the actions that they put him in, like, uh, like even without Kyrie involved, like there's been times where he's put in like, you know, like double staggers or double wide pin downs, whatever you want to call them out of the corner. And that's mm-hmm. something that he did during the world cup. Uh, that was, you know, very like difficult for opposing teams to handle. He's going to draw a lot of fouls in those situations. Right. I feel like because you have to be very physical with someone who's that big and that skilled. And right. I think he's one of the like best process players, like like in terms of like recognizing how defenses are reacting, how to like no punish question. them. So like yeah. when you're in those like ha- like yeah like you're in those actions, there's a lot that goes on, and then you're stressing the back end of the defense with a low man, and so like you can really like make quick like just easy like situations out of that where you're not necessarily having to break down a defender off the dribble like so often and ISO and things like that. So I think whether it's involving Kyrie or not, I do think I'd like to see that more, but I do think overall like matchup dependent, if you're playing a team like Portland and they're going to full court press, Luca likes actually to be full court pressed. I actually asked him about that, like in New Orleans when he struggled and turned it over like eight times. He, I was like, you know, like Grant Williams mentioned, like you, like, like he's kind of crazy, uh, like the way he plays the game. Like he's just, he's, he's like, like, uh, like uh, honestly, if you ask him, like it's kind of funny when you when you think about how Lucas sees the game. Uh, a lot of times, if you ask him about actions or things like that, he's going to tell you it helps me be less tired, and then uh, like that's like the main benefit. Like he just needs like enough gas <laughs> in the tank at the end of the game. But then also, it's like if they double team me, I pass. If they don't double team me, I score. Like he just that's just how easy the game is to him. Like, it's just kind of crazy to me. Like, uh, so overall, like, that's how a lot of it kind of boils down. But I thought, like, even, like, the the comment about, like, you know, being full-court press was kind of fascinating because he's like, yeah, I actually like being full-court press. I just needed to drive more. I needed to just be more aggressive. Like, oh, okay. Like, uh, I guess the game is just that easy for someone like that. But, like, so that's just kind of the mindset overall is I think, like, yep, they want to nice. be oh, double teams. Luca's a funny guy, the man. pretty yeah, simple with the four-on-three, but, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think one thing that's kind of, I feel like I've been keeping an eye on and I don't quite know what the answer is unless it's like a trade that inevitably happens, which is, or not inevitably, but like potentially happens. When I'm looking at Jaden Hardy and like kind of the things that are 
hoped and an idealized version of Jaden Hardy and like the areas of which he improves. I know playmaking and, and kind of being a more of a, a ball handler and, and playmaker uh, to just set guys up was kind of a big point of emphasis over the off season and kind of moving forward. But yep. looking at the current construction of the roster, it's, and, and then obviously what's happening in the games, it's hard for him to get in there and find that spot. And so I guess, where do you see, I don't want to say just his long-term fit, but sort of what opportunities do you see for him to sort of really just establish himself as a consistent guy for them to go to? Or do you think that now just might not be the time? Yeah, I think now probably is not the the time right now. I think when you look at last year, the roster was very limited offensively. Uh, they, they even tried like uh, Compazzo and Kemba Walker uh, early on and like that that got a little desperate after like pretty quickly so I think like when you add in like Dante Exum, Seth Curry guys like that there's a they're more insulated uh, for having to rely on uh, you know Jaden uh, with what he provides overall I think like Summer League was a good show of like how he handled like like testing him I should say not showing how he handled but just testing him as like a top option against all the the, like the focus of the game planning a lot of defensive pressure and I think he left like like a good amount to be desired there I think um, you know that kind of showed like where he could develop and progress as the focus of the unit so but overall I think he's shown to be able to attack off the catch like pretty well whether it's like catch and shoot or just attack closeouts but beyond that like there's a lot of players on the roster that can provide like catch shoot ability, things like that. Uh, so there has to be more layers to it, to what he provides, especially with the size limitations. So I think the big thing for him will be to show that he can really like mature and getting the offense into sets and things like that, similar to how Exum does. And then to be more like consistent yeah. in terms of just like decision-making, like there's times where he's attacking the paint, whether it's like semi-transition or just in general <laughs> as like an initiator. And he's like kind of just crashing to the ground. And like, like there's a layup that's like, yeah. Uh, coming off the glass, like without much of a of an outlook to go in, or he's turning it over. So I think he's still trying to like really figure out uh, his advantages, especially with how the roster has changed this season. Uh, and I think you know, that that definitely is okay, considering he's like in his second year. He was a second round pick, so it's like that's something to definitely uh, right. think about overall. It's like in the grand scheme of things, like the progression is not always linear. Will we know how good he's going to be ultimately in his career? No, but like. Um, I think the long-term potential of learning behind guys like Seth Curry, you know, like Kyrie Luca, all, all the guys on the roster will be valuable for him. And I think that's probably more of where he'll make his impact uh, is probably as that future piece when guys like, you know, like Seth Curry are like, he are pretty old, like in terms of like being long-term like complimentary fits, uh, the more of a stopgap option, right. which like the contract would, would suggest as well. So I think like learning from everything around him and then showing that progression and having like, I guess you could say like the minor victories of like within the spot minutes or like injuries happen right. and he steps up like, like incremental progress, I think would be small definitely wins, yeah. the, mm-hmm. yeah, small wins for sure. Cause that's, that's a big part of player development for yeah. sure. Cause like last year he got thrown in the yeah. fire pretty aggressively at times. Like I always like to point back to this part of the season, like March, I think it was like March 8th or something in new Orleans, Luca like doesn't mm-hmm. finish the fourth quarter. <laughs> Uh, Hardy has to come in and then Luca's like, I have a quad injury. Like we don't even know what it is. And you know, we're, it's been bothering me since the all-star break. And it's like, okay, that's concerning. So then he's out for a couple of games and then Kyrie like injures himself and doesn't play in the next game as well. So then like yeah. Jaden Hardy went from two games prior was it the to the Utah game, right? I, I think it was yeah. like uh, it, the first one. I forgot what the I one think with it was, was. 
Yeah, I think, and then New Orleans was when Luca mentioned the injury, and then I think it was Memphis. Because yeah, I took a thirteen-hour Amtrak train from New Orleans to Memphis, so I'll never forget that part of the calendar. I'll never forget that because uh, flying was way too expensive, uh, um, like spring break time. So I took that Amtrak train. I'll never forget that. And Kyrie wasn't uh, like yeah, wasn't able to play. So then Jalen went from like DNP one night to closing the fourth quarter to the first option taking over twenty shots for three straight games, uh, like sixty total combined <laughs> plus field goal attempts. So like that type yeah. of situation is very hard to like you know like have a lot of like you know linear progress and like just gradual uh, improvements. So I think uh, you know having an ability to kind of earn that spot and be consistent will be key for him. And I just don't know if that's like the right time right mm. now. Cause I think when you're trying to win coming off right. of a uh, season where you didn't make the play in tournament, you need those reliable, like steady handed veterans that are going to consistently contribute. You know what you can expect. And cause you can't, you can't have another down year. Like you, you got to keep Luca happy. Mm-hmm. And then like, I have, Obviously, you have no idea yeah. how ownership stuff even factors into stuff. But when you're changing majority owners, mm-hmm. like I think naturally people start to think about like big picture stuff. Like, okay, so are we on the same page with this? Whether like Mark Cuban's still running president, like like basketball operations or not, that's that kind of like gets out of the the element. I think everyone just kind of focuses on like, okay, so there's big changes going on. What are we doing to still compete for a title? Does this change how you're doing it around me? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Okay, great. We're on the same page, but still, I need right. to see progress. Like it kind of makes you more yeah. leery of like things going on and you need to see results, uh, right. especially after that like 38 and 44 season. So I think overall, like that's kind of how it factors in is like it's probably not the right time for him. And as the roster kind of sells itself out over the next couple of seasons, I feel like that could factor in. But then again, yeah. if you're in a win now mode, that's where the trade like sort of ideas kind of flow. Cause where it's like, was that really right. the right piece for right now? Or is he right better now, suited yeah. on a rebuilding team for sure? It's, yeah. it's funny you say that because if I were to, again, from an outsider's perspective, if I were to answer the question, have they made Luca more happier or more content with the progress this season? I think I would say yes. Um, I think this summer, they were aggressive in getting guys that match this type of style that they want to play, that match what Luca and Kyrie need. I think Derek Lively was a home run in terms of a draft prospect. And ultimately, even if you're not, maybe you are, maybe you think I was going to bring this question up now, but like, even if you're not contending for a championship this year, you are building the process for what a championship team will eventually be. In that, you know, rim protector, rolling, short roll creator and Derek Lively, he will play a part in whatever the next championship this Mavericks team will contend for. Obviously, Luka and Kyrie will be a big part of that as well. You're trying out these different guys in a Derek Jones Jr., in a Grant Williams, in a Josh Green to see how you can fill out the wing rotation. That's something that will inevitably grow. But I think in terms of the process, this has been a massive win for the Luka, hey, Let's mm-hmm. keep you satisfied here in Dallas thing. Would you guys, both of you guys, would you guys agree with that statement that this was inevitably this like last 12 months, not even less than 12 months, six, seven months has mm-hmm. been a major win to keep Luca a little bit more happy. Yeah. I guess I Grant. I definitely you, yeah, say yeah. so. Cause if you think, let's think about like what the, the situation was on opening night last year, it was <laughs> yeah. uh, Spencer Dinwiddie as the backcourt partner. Uh, which is okay. Like, like he, he was a helpful player, but like ideally he was in that six man role where he was that extra, like, like punch throughout like the nine rounds, if you will, of like, uh, like the game. 
yeah. and then you look at like Dorian Finney-Smith, he was solid too, but you know, he's kind of a, a limited offensive player, like a really good catch and shoot player, but he's not someone that's going to like create out of a ball screen. Reggie Bullock was even more limited and right. JaVale McGee was the starting center. Like that was a lot <laughs> of uh, limited uh, skill sets. <laughs> Where you, you then you had got into a weird situation where it was like, okay, Christian Wood provides an offensive spark. Can we play him uh, next to Luca and Spencer Dinwiddie? Well, the defense is not nearly good enough. So then you got into like a like a really like weird situation where it's like, okay, well, we felt those guys, Javale and Christian Wood, were upgrades over Dwight Powell, right. but now we're putting Dwight Powell back out as a starting center. And then it's just like you're not really progressing when you said like that's the the big improvement off of Western Conference Finals run is we need a rim protector we need this uh, like defensive defensive rebounding and you end up going back to the limited personnel at the five very frequently like Dwight Powell Maxi Kleba that you had during that run so I think like when you look at what they have now like Derek Lively is a massive home run because. Now you have clarity. You also, it's not even just like the long-term hope. You also know there's immediate results because there's a big difference in presence when he's off the floor, uh, mm-hmm. like with what they have like as alternative options, uh, whether it's you know, like Dwight Powell or Rashawn Holmes or anyone else that's really like, or Markeith Morris in spot minutes or even Kleba, uh, you know, like that really makes a big difference when you kind of already have that confidence that, you know, that's a long-term answer. And then you start to look at the wing positions, like you, as you guys said, uh, you know, you, you think about like Grant Williams, you know, when he, his three is clicking, that's a helpful player. He can guard bigger players as well with his frame. Derek Jones can fly around the half court and they've been successful defensively when that starting intended starting five is on the floor. It's just then you yeah. get into the whole thing of like, would one of those guys be better long term being a bench piece? Um, you know, do we have enough talent to make that happen? And then you look at some of the other parts of the roster, you know, Omax Prosper, six foot eight wing. That's the great size that you would want, like with a seven foot wingspan. But how soon can he kind of get fluid offensively and get comfortable? I think he's shown flashes defensively. Like he handled Shea Gildas Alexander well in the fourth quarter of, you know, like the game that they really need to rely on him against the Thunder and just different matchups as well. And, you know, if you look at, look at him, he's someone that's putting in work. Like it's, facility he did the old school uh cone drills he was sliding he was working <laughs> on slides uh and then he immediately uh translated it against the thunder and got stops against Shea gildas alexander so that's right. like you know the old school uh, uh put the work in using the cones and then getting stopped <laughs> uh we'll, we'll see how that that works over the you know rest of the season if he can step into a bigger role and show like you know consistency in what he's able to do like that would be very helpful for the team overall in their roster construction. Cause he is, he played three seasons of college basketball. He's 21. Uh, you know, if I'm remembering that correctly, I feel like I remember he's 21. Uh, <laughs> he well, more basically point being a more like seasoned, uh, player entering the NBA than Derek Lively. And you're already getting that impact from Lively. So hopefully at some point you would like to get that like stable, consistent, like rotation role yeah. from Omax. Cause he has the intended, uh, physical tools that you would like. Uh, on the wing and you know so far he's played spot minutes like when there's been injuries and I think it's going to be a like a well obviously starting a slow process for him but lively but I think like just overall like big picture wise it'll take some time but you know that's why this month will be important with all the injuries that are going on right now um, if he can show that he can handle consistently knocking down outside shots mm-hmm. that would be a big win because that's the calling card for a lot of the other players that are getting minutes right now and then building upon that going forward you guys like your Canadians, man. 
You guys like your Canadians. <laughs> Dwight Powell, AJ Lawson, Omax. I'm just saying, you know, maybe potentially. Well, I'm biased because, because you know? my, mom, my mom's from Canada. So I'm oh, she, oh, she had to know that. There you go. Would you look at that? Wait, where whereabouts in Canada? In uh, Saskatchewan, uh, Regina. Okay, okay. All right, cool. All right, very nice. Well, my, my good friend, Samson Folk, friend of the podcast, he is also from Saskatchewan. So, okay, would you it's look at that? Very, very nice. Hey, we got a lot of Canadians on the Dallas Mavericks <laughs> side, ladies and gentlemen. Um, okay, I guess, look, final thoughts. Any, anything you guys kind of want to add before we head out of, head out of here, Mavericks-wise and – just generally anything really Lauren I don't know if you want to kind of throw yeah, anything out there I do have kind of like a just a last minute quick question for Grant my I guess my my question is how do you feel about some of these names that are getting ca- tossed out there on the trade market I think I I think Zach Levine is like not I don't think that there's really much of a discussion to have there but as far as like trying to make something happen with Pascal or even entertaining an an, an expiring kind of rental situation with DeMar or even in light of the PJ Tucker stuff that kind of was circulating a bit today are there any names out there that are really interesting you or are you kind of like continuity keep establishing and and growing what what we're working on where are you at well i do think overall if there can be a a big move for the right piece i mean that sounds like a cliche but uh i think that would probably be the way to go like like if you have like like interesting situations in the nba where like an expiring contract wants to go somewhere like i don't think Mm -hmm. that's necessarily the case the mavericks because we probably know about it by now but if you have that sort of uh, situation, whether it's like OGN and OB, Pascal Siakam, that would be the perfect world. But yeah. I do think if you're looking to like add a patchwork sort of like, you know, like add a, a talent to the rotation sort of situation, I think having someone that really checks the boxes of like you know, defensive versatility uh, would definitely be the priority. But then yeah. you get into a situation where PJ Tucker's pretty old for a uh, role player right now, and his right. corner three isn't the most consistent the last <laughs> couple of years. Uh, yeah. And I think I'm being kind of kind. Uh, when I'm saying that. <laughs> uh, so I think uh, overall, like that probably wouldn't be the one uh, right. necessarily. Uh, you yeah. ideally want to add a piece with how limited the trade assets are if it's right. midseason to be uh, like a multi-year. Uh, sort of like element to the team because overall if you do do a trade now and it involves a future first round pick or even a young player that really takes away from the big swing they could make in the offseason because that's when a lot of their picks like assuming there isn't a disaster where they're like convey they're not conveying their pick this year with the top mm-hmm. 10 protection um, then you would have more unlocked even though they have traded some of their future first round picks like the 2029 right. to Brooklyn uh, for Kyrie and then the 2030 like swap uh, to San Antonio and that Grant Williams uh, trade, they still have the ability to like use multiple first round picks. And, you know, maybe those young players will be more enticing to a team that's more mentally prepared to take that rebuilding uh, approach uh, mm-hmm. instead of a mid season change like that for a big player. Uh, so I think overall, that's probably like the fine line you'd have to walk. Uh, but I do think um, right now there is it's probably a combination. Like you do want to see some continuity to see how like, you know, like Grant Williams is viewed as a defensive leader. He's going to be mm-hmm. important. And as a community is a key communicator alongside Derek Lively, who's getting used to the NBA, you probably want to keep that stable uh, sure. where, you know, you're really growing on that going forward. But I think if you have some players, who may be outperforming short-term contracts. Maybe you, you think about that a little bit. Like Derek Jones has been you know, like a strong piece, but like, is that going to be a piece that they're able to really retain if he keeps producing at that level? He's probably going to be able to get like MLE money somewhere else, I would think, is my guess. Right. Mm-hmm. So then you have to start to think like who's retainable, 
what can be moved this season. And Josh Green now has the poison pill, pill provision because of his extension. So that makes it more challenging to involve him in a trade as well. So then right. you're a little limited on like the, the situation you have, but you can involve like Tim Hardaway Jr.'s contract, maybe Rashawn Holmes, but that's a negative value contract right now based mm-hmm. off of like how he's not really been a factor uh, last couple mm-hmm. of seasons in the NBA. Right. So I think like you get into a thing too where it's like, what are you trading Tim Hardaway for? Because we did talk about like while there are drawbacks to having six foot five shooting guard kind of play <laughs> the three, uh, when he is on a flamethrower like a heater, that's pretty impossible to stop for a lot of people. <laughs> right. So like that was one of the big swing factors last year and seems to be again this year is when he's got it rolling from three. So if you're moving him, what is it for? Probably on the on the wing. But then what team is necessarily looking in the Tim Hardaway Jr. market to trade their wing? Uh, with limited assets as well. So I think overall, it, it'll be interesting to think about. You also don't know how other teams value certain young players. Some may right. be like really out on Jaden Hardy. Some may love Jaden Hardy. We don't know. And then like right. same with Omax Prosper because he did go 25th in the draft uh, or 24th right. in the draft, I should say, uh, is what it was. So like there were some teams that decided to pass on him. So like overall, how those guys build their value up, how they change perceptions or embolden perceptions right. that are positive already will kind of be interesting. <laughs> but overall, they don't have the best war chest, I think, mid-season for a trade. But I do think, like, some of those names, probably the top In names, the off which season. is not really, like, mm-hmm. the most, like, genius. Not, like, oh, OJ and OV would help the Mavericks or Pascal Siak <laughs> would help the Mavericks. <laughs> but I do think, like, uh, yeah. seeing things that, like, like develop in the trade market overall would be probably important because I do think like, you know, PJ Tucker probably isn't the best option in my opinion, personally. Uh, I think you want right. more like, like height as well. Cause he's also in the kind of like smaller, like he, he's got a big frame. He's kind of like Grant Williams right. in a similar respect where it's like, you know, not yeah. ideal size, like height wise. So then you kind of get into the same situation where, mm-hmm. you know, you, you're not really like taking the steps forward uh, to, to fill the holes that you kind of yeah. have. So I think, you know, if there's a wing that becomes available uh, later on that they can acquire, uh, that probably would be great. But then again, if they can acquire them, a lot of other teams can, which gets into the whole like like contract situation. You'd have to have someone really want to go to Dallas for a midseason move, in my opinion. Right. Um, okay. I'm with you. I feel like I'm mavericked out. Uh, <laughs> I, I feel like I've I feel like I've got what I need to at least to to the playoffs. Like Grant, yeah. first of all. Obviously, great work as always. DallasBasketball.com. Um, you do phenomenal work. I'm always tapped in there. Uh, Lauren, you always do great work. You. You, you know, Mavericks, you already know. You already know. Um, <laughs> but yes, as always, uh, for the people who are listening, you can check out Grant's work. Uh, we'll, we'll drop it in the link in the description if you guys want to. At the same time, we appreciate you guys tapping into the Objective Basketball Podcast. Like, subscribe, do the rating, the things that you guys usually do. And we will see you guys later. Take care. Follow hosts at Just S. Barahini on all socials and at The Lauren Gun on Twitter. The Objective Basketball Podcast. Delivering the NBA to you like no other.